Back in the day, um, it was a little easier to teach in a series because uh, people attended with greater frequency, if I dare say. Um, uh, So it's always a challenge when you teach a series of messages that build on each other. So just by way of quick recap, and obviously last week was particularly challenging, but we are in this series talking about measuring what matters. And last week, I encouraged us, or I started up, I encouraged us to reflect upon our human obsession with measuring stuff, with keeping score. We play games, we want to keep score, we want to measure virtually everything in our lives. Conversation with Mike Hollenbaugh this morning. Uh, been fishing? Yep. How many have been catching? Been catching lots, one day only caught three. We're measuring stuff all the time, and most areas of our lives. <clears throat> but what I wanted us to begin to wrestle with is how do we measure our spiritual development? And I wanted to emphasize what can happen if we're measuring the wrong things. And I talked about a couple of things. I talked about delusion. If we're measuring our spiritual progress uh, and we can be deluded into thinking that we're in a better place than what we are and we're not as motivated to change. We have an inflated view of where we're at. Another one of the words I used was illusion, and that's kind of the opposite in the way I use it of delusion, in that we can begin to think, have a deflated view. We have the illusion that we're just never going to measure up. And, and so, again, our motivation to lean into the process of change decreases. And I talked about confusion, where there's no consistent standard or measurement or way to evaluate where we're at. And if that's what's going on in our spiritual lives, we're just always bouncing around, depending upon the circumstances or, or a particular victory or a particular setback, uh, we can be confused about where we're at. And, and I talked about the importance of finding ways to make a realistic assessment, an accurate understanding, yes, I have a ways to go, no, I'm not where I used to be, and, and how do I measure and gauge that? And that's some of what I want us to continue to to wrestle with, I'll unpack some of it, but you're going to have to do some some thought work on your own. And then I went on to talk about the idea of one of the things, one of the, when it comes to our individual and our corporate faith, one of the measurements that matters, not the only one, but one of the measurements that matters is life change. Real, sustained, ongoing life change. Am I different than what I used to be like. Am I different than where I was at last year in January of 2020? How am I different? Am I different than I was when I first came into faith? How am I different? Is there real sustained life change? And one of the things we we passed out, in case you didn't know, this is just a reminder for you to be thinking about. Throw it in your Bible, put it on your dash, put it on your mirrors, tuck it in your pocket. But just remember the importance of measuring what matters. And that kind of brought me to the question we're going to look at today. And that's the question. If we're looking for a realistic assessment, we want to talk about life change. We need to ask the question and answer the question, am I a disciple? And and again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this question, but a part of that kind of maybe the, just the baby step in looking at that process is, why are you involved in a local church? What, why do you go to church? Why are you involved in a church beyond just going? What, what are some of the reasons? Why, why do you go to church? The Bible says to. Does it? 
Okay, good. Good job, Mark. All right, threw him under the bus, didn't I? Nobody else is going to speak up now, right? <laughs> What's that? To grow. All right, what else? What's that? Learn. All right. Fellowship. Worship. <laughs> Mom makes me. I mean, because it's the right thing to do. I mean, good people go to church. I, I'm... Yeah. Cheryl, I hope you noticed, I didn't hear anybody say they go to church to serve. Did, did you, anybody notice that? Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, Cheryl's giving you the stink eye, but anyway, alright. But again, that's kind of beginning to think, am I a disciple? What, what does it mean? And, and so obviously many of you know, I, I, that's the question, I skipped a slide, but we'll go to the next one. What is a disciple? Uh, many of you know I, I kind of gravitate toward definitions, but I'm going to throw this out again. You'll hear me over the next several weeks continue to refer to this. But part of what I think about when we talk about what is a disciple and how I view what it means to be a disciple is are we talking about destination or are we talking about direction? Again, and, and I'm going to say this again in a couple weeks, we, we tend to think about discipleship based on how we were trained. And for me, when I came into faith... One of the common practices was to be a disciple, you went to classes. And you went to the 100 classes, and then you went to the 200 classes, and then you went to the 300 classes, and you went to the 400 classes, and apparently after 400, you were now a disciple. I don't, I don't know. But, you know, that, that's a desk, because there were no 500 classes. Uh, some of us, we had to go back to 100 again, but we'll, <laughs> but, um, that, that's kind of, discipleship is a destination. But I think a far more accurate way to look at it is, a process. And, and that's some of the de- definitions we're going to look at. Somebody said learn. Um, one definition, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to Jesus' kingdom mission. All right? So someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and, and you could say is joining Jesus on his mission. So, again, remember what's the question? Am I a disciple? Begin to process that in your mind. If a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to Jesus, if you were to measure what matters, where are you at? Okay, let's begin to eliminate some of the confusion. Let's ask myself ourselves the question, am I following him? What does it mean to follow him? Am I being changed by him? What's the evidence? What's the evidence? If I'm looking to measure change in other areas of my life, again, if I'm looking to lose weight, there's some pretty real measures to that. This tape measure isn't going to help me much unless I'm measuring my wrist, all right? Uh, But we'll use a much bigger tape measure, hopefully not two, but hopefully a much bigger tape measure, and begin to measure. We'll get on the scale. Those are the kinds of things. So if a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, okay, what's the evidence? How, How... how would somebody know I'm following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, what what are the changes, and is committed to Jesus' kingdom mission? Maybe I was being sneaky when I threw that out about serving as a reason we go to local church. Just throwing it out there. What is a disciple? Another definition. A disciple is an intentional learner from Jesus. There is an intentionality. I want to learn from him. And then there's some follow-up questions there. If I'm learning from Jesus intentionally, what is he saying? Again, I'm going to 
end talking about reading the Bible. All right? That's awesome. But what is the Bible saying? It's not enough to just read it. You need to ask, what is it saying? What is Jesus saying? If I'm learning from Jesus, what is he saying? And then what am I doing in response to what he's saying? Oh, I don't know about you, but just those two definitions and beginning to unpack them in my mind even just a little bit begins to bring some clarification if I want a realistic assessment in answering the question, am I a disciple? And again, I hope you got your seatbelts on because we took some time up front that was necessary, but I still got a full message and we're going to cook here. Um, But I want to share quickly some thoughts on being a disciple from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And some of you who know your New Testament know what's coming. The rest of you, welcome to the surprise. All right. So, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Awesome, awesome story. I mean, this is one of those warm, fuzzy stories of all warm, fuzzy stories. A bunch of people are hanging out in the field to hear Jesus, just having a great day of revival. And then the realization comes, hey, we haven't had a snack in a while. And the whole deal where Jesus takes five loaves and two fishes and feeds, according to Scripture, 5,000 men. There were so many women and children, they didn't bother to count them. All right. From five loaves and two fishes. Now, now just, again, if you've heard the story before, it's just old news. But just imagine trying to wrap your head around that. If you were present and you were close enough to know what was going on. Some of the people out in the boonies, they just know they got something to eat. They didn't know where it came from. But some of the people knew. It's like, huh? Huh? Doesn't add up. So, just crazy cool. Then we jump ahead to John 16, or John 6, 16 through 24, and as if the whole feeding 5,000 people, 10,000 people, with a few loaves of bread and a few little fish wasn't enough, the disciples get this crazy Jesus is walking on water deal. And again, it's just like, my head explodes. I mean, this dude just makes food out of nowhere, and the rules of the physical world don't apply to him. Just crazy. From a church leadership standpoint, I look at that, and I would say, Jesus' ministry at that point had incredible ministry momentum. Things were just going crazy. There's nothing he can't do, literally. But then in the midst of all this crazy, positive, enthusiastic atmosphere, Jesus starts to talk about the whole bread of life thing. And, and I'm going to read some of these verses because it just, your head just has to explode here. John chapter 6, verses 25 through 30. I just call this, really, they want a sign. Now, again, understand, what's just happened? He just fed 5,000 people with a sack lunch. All right? He just literally walked on the water. Now listen what happens. I mean, just after this. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? In other words, how'd you get here? What's going on? 
Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, keyword, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, uh, he's saying, whoops, you guys might be in this for the wrong thing. Just kind of putting it out there, maybe you're missing the point here. <clears throat> Do not work for food. <coughs> Excuse me. Maybe I don't have any more water. All right. Jesus said, verse 27, John chapter 6, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to life, to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Again, this is the simple Steve view. You're missing the point. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires us? Can I just... If you don't want a realistic assessment of where you're at, don't ask Jesus that question. All right? I mean, it's like asking a trusted friend who will be honest with you, does this sweater make me look fat? All right, because they're going to tell me. So don't ask a question if you don't want the answer. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? <clears throat> Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Okay. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Seriously? He just fed 5,000 people with a sack lunch, and he just walked on water, and you're looking at him and saying, what are you going to show us so we believe? If that doesn't make you believe, probably there's not much he's going to do that's going to get through to you. John chapter 6, verse 35 through 41. We're just going to jump ahead a few verses. And again, I simply say, can't you just feel the momentum fading? Somebody poked a hole in the balloon, and it's starting to deflate. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you don't believe. You saw signs, and you don't believe. Verse 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Remember what we're talking about, direction, not destination. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone looks to the, who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him and because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They start to grumble, and the momentum has suddenly shifted. All of this positive movement forward and then he begins to call them to task to challenge them to stretch their belief and they start to grumble now again i'm not picking on any of you trust me 
but if you know someone who grumbles, or if you are someone who grumbles, in my personal experience, because I can grumble with the best of them, I saw that, Wendy, but anyway, all right, I'll call you out. Sorry, I won't look again. But generally, once you start to grumble, do you then have an epiphany that say, oh, never mind, it's all better? Generally, once we start down that rat hole, we just keep a grumbling and a grumbling and a grumbling till eventually it explodes. John six fifty three through 58, we fast forward again, and it's time to ask a question. All in or not? And again, if you've not heard me or someone far better than me speak on this passage before, I just want to say, Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Just hear me well. I'm not going to unpack it now. They knew. They knew he was not talking about cannibalism. So don't even go there. They got that. That They knew what he was saying. He's saying all in or not. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Are you in or aren't you? That's the question you ask. And then the tragedy. Remember its direction we're talking about. A rapid change in direction. John chapter 6, verse 60. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? He really expects us to go all in. I just wanted to sign in another sack lunch. I wanted to see him, you know, stand on his head and walk on one finger. I didn't want to be called to go all in. On hearing that, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were what? grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Can you you just imagine having Jesus look at you? Did did I say something that offended you? (laughs) Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Is that going to be enough for you? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe in him and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Verse 66. From this time, many of his what? Disciples turned back and no longer followed him. If being a disciple is about direction 
and they began to go in the opposite direction of Jesus, were they still disciples? Interesting thought. Measuring what matters. But before I go to that, we'll go back. Nope, we're not going back that far. I don't want to bother. But with regard to this rapid change in direction, at what point in your spiritual life have you said, might you be tempted to say, or are you saying, Jesus, that's too hard. I, I, won't, I won't go there. That's where I draw the line. I won't do that. I won't give that up. It's just too hard. Sobering thought. Realistically, you don't have time to dig into that right now. But I invite you to leave here with a determination to invite the Holy Spirit of God to guide you in the days ahead as you drill down into this concept a bit. Be honest with yourself, but don't beat yourself up. Just be motivated to move forward in your pursuit of Jesus. You're not wrong for being where you're at unless you choose to stay there. Unless we leave that passage of John chapter 6 on a totally negative note, uh, we'll move on to 66 through 69, measuring what matters. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Bummer. Jesus looked at the twelve and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Just, just picture that moment. There are throngs of people who have been following Jesus, just lapping up all that he's doing. And Jesus says, you know what? It's time to kind of ratchet up the level of commitment. Can you imagine standing there with the twelve as people began to drift away. You know, you ever been in a crowd when all of a sudden it's not cool to be in the crowd anymore and people just kind of start backing away and moving back and looking around and eventually they get far enough away they turn and and go. It's like they, they're, they're trying to sneak away. As the disciples see that, then Jesus looked at them and said, what about you? You gonna to leave too? Ah, good old Peter. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, because some of these people were looking for a destination, many in the story walked away from the hope of the world, literally walked away from the hope of the world. They walked away from the offer of eternal life. They turned their back on a real, personal, life-changing love relationship with the Holy One of God. That's This is just asking too much. While those who leaned into the hard teaching and kept moving in the direction of Christ discovered a world that they never knew existed. They embraced strengths and abilities they never knew they had And they were used literally 
to change the world for all of eternity. Because they kept taking... Did they have it all figured out? We know the twelve didn't have it all figured out. We've read the rest of the New Testament. They were messed up. But they kept moving in the direction, measuring what matters. Something to think about as we look to measure our lives as disciples. And again, I don't want to pile on, and I don't want to overwhelm you, and I don't want to discourage you, but I want to invite you to continue or consider looking at things a little bit differently. And in 2011, Lifeway Publishing publishes a boatload of Christian literature, lots of Sunday school material, all that kind of stuff, VBS, they did a study, and they looked and they evaluated all kinds of stuff, and they wanted to come up with what what are the indicators that someone is a disciple. So they came up, after copious amounts of research, they came up with eight marks of a disciple. And you might want to write these down or just take a screenshot when I get all eight of them up there. Don't bother to take one for each one because you'll get tired. But they'll all be up there eventually. But but just, I'm not going to unpack these now. There's a good chance I will somewhere down the road. But as, as we think about measuring what matters, I just want you to hear these. Eight marks of a disciple. If we're going to ask the question, am I a disciple? These are some things that might help us. Engaged in the Bible. A disciple, if a disciple is a learner from, an intentional learner from Jesus, well then probably engaged in the Bible is a part of it. And can I just point out, I'm going to say this again in a minute probably because I repeat myself. I, I, again, in spite of what I said earlier, I, I don't despise technology, alright? And you version is awesome. But when we talk about being engaged in the Bible, your daily blast with your memory verse for the day, that's not Bible engagement. All right, that may be an appetizer, that may be a breath mint, but that's not Bible engagement. I'm just saying. All right. Eight marks of a disciple. Engaged in the Bible, obey God, deny self. Interesting how those are together. (laughs) Sometimes if I'm going to obey God, I've got to deny myself. Yeah, you think? All right. Serve others. Okay. Share Christ. Exercise faith. Seeking God in prayer. Building relationships with others. Eight marks of a discipleship. Of a disciple, excuse me. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw this out there. But just imagine for a moment. Look at those eight. And what might change in your life if you began to intentionally evaluate your spiritual journey, measure what matters, based upon measuring those things? Instead of confusion, instead of illusion, instead of delusion, you began to look at your life and say, how am I doing? What am I doing in those eight areas? I have to believe that there would be directional movement toward Christ if we pursued each of those things. And as I've hinted, there's a good chance somewhere down the road I'll come back and unpack those. But 
to just give you a tease today? What's that? I missed one? Oh, thank you, Steve. Awesome. I can't count. Come on. I'm talking loud. All right, now you can take pictures. Thank you, Steve. Unashamed transparency. All right. Are you real? All right, there you go. Now take your pictures. Thank you, Steve. I don't know. He's having a, he's having a hallelujah moment back there. Uh, but uh, all right. <laughs> Just trying to get through to the dense guy on the stage. All right. Eight marks of a disciple. Like I said, we're all moving forward here. But but just imagine if if we really evaluated ourselves, not based on what the person sitting next to us is doing, but how am I doing in those areas compared to where I was a year ago? Just throwing it out there. And as I said, I may come back and unpack those, but just to give you a tease, uh, we're going to start with the top one. And... We're going to show a video. It's about a two and a half minute video. And for me personally, every time I watch it, it just, how can I be here? How come I don't get this? So, Steve, let's go ahead and show that video. Let's just pop back to that uh, output. So... Just turn off the audio, Spence. So, and put my slide back up, Steve. Click on the, there we go. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. I hope that that makes your head explode the way it does mine. Engaging in the Bible. If, If you want your biggest bang for your buck... That's a great place to start. Read it. What I said earlier, being an intentional learner from Jesus, what's he saying, and what am I going to do? All right? It's not a contest. How many books of the Bible can I read in a day or whatever else? It's reading the Bible, what is it saying, and what am I going to do? Just one, talk about measuring what matters, one tiny Baby step. One mark out of eight can generate that much potential. Just imagine if we begin to grapple with all eight of those. Exactly. Wow. Pray with me. Father, the people that are here are here, I believe, because they want to be a disciple and a disciple that continually moves closer and closer and closer to all you have called them to be and all you've called them to do. The beauty of it, Father, is that through Jesus, you've already done the heavy lifting. We just need to follow. And we need to keep taking one step after another. Will there be times that we're stretched? Will there be hard teachings? Of course there will. But there's going to be hard stuff whether we're following you or not. So how much better to be following after the hope of the world? 
the one who gave his life that we might be whole. So, Father, I pray that you'll help each of us not to be discouraged. The fact that we're here indicates a desire to follow. But I pray that each of us will continue to wrestle with, what steps do I need to be taking? What do I need to be measuring in order to be all that you've called me to be and to do? I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Greg?